Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rose City Politics. We are off the heels of a really great Patreon episode. We don't usually do the Patreon tease right off the top, but quite frankly, I think you should be jumping on board. If you're looking to try to get the backstory of what we're being talking about tonight, what we are going to be talking about tonight, excuse me, um, you're going to want to listen to that, but you're also going to want to hear it because we've got a new plan with it. We've got a new format. It's going to be great. But anyways, thanks for joining us tonight. Our regular panel tonight, of course, includes myself, John Lidke. We are joined by Doug Sartori on the panel as well, coming from the gates of hell, Lucifer in is, the background. This is Skeletor's castle, buddy. Skeletor's yeah. castle. I'm, I'm plotting the takeover of Castle Grayskull. It will be mine. There you go. I like it. You know, it's uh, it's 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 a good background to have as we're moving into our third fourth fifth sixth lockdown in ontario we're getting to the point that we're like we're reaching the walking dead situation where you know secure the windows secure the doors we're in spurs are coming yeah we're let let me ask you guys this our biz x column is out today that we wrote last month and it's about post pandemic wins (laughs) (laughs) how are you guys feeling about that well, that's what's the problem when you write an article a month ahead of time. It just doesn't work out sometimes. Everything looked like it was going really well. And I wrote like, oh, you know, it'll be great. Let's just try <laughs> to envision an amazing post, you know, pandemic world. And it's like, nah, fuck you, idiots. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Doug. Now you got to still- edit it immediately. We're right into it. It's still good, folks. You should read it. It's just yeah. going to be a little bit delayed. <laughs> it'll still apply. Just just a few months from now. So it's good to have you here, Doug. We also have Don Merrifield coming from his void of insanity. Don, what's it like to be selling homes from inside of an endless void that has no personal property? Yeah, I wish I could be selling homes from an endless void, but you know, ever since this pandemic started, we've been essential. So they've been throwing us out in the hot zone out there. So it's, uh, yeah, my, mildly terrifying. It's, it's not the best. Do you, no John, do you find that um that showing homes in a full hazmat suit has an impact on sales uh only in summer because you get pretty sweaty in the winter time it's nice because it's nice and warm but <laughs> i thought you know i'm gonna follow up on that for a quick second i don't care about the audience like have did you notice a difference at all between like when you know the lockdown first came down you know in the summer of last year which is doug's talking about with his joke versus where things like let up like was there actual notable noticeable difference yeah moderately i'm not gonna lie to you you know real estate agents it's you know it's a weird business because it's you know you You're here paid. to prey off of the blood of, you know, the elders yeah. that don't exist. I wish it was that exciting, but really it's just, you know, you don't, you're not making a living unless you're selling houses. So I, unfortunately, I don't think some realtors were taking all the precautions that they should have been taking and unbeknownst to the public because the health unit didn't really say anything because they won't, but there's been many outbreaks uh, associated with real estate agents and real estate companies. And even in our own office, we've had people fill out COVID forms and say, you know, I'm fine. Go look at the house and then call us back later and say, Oh, by the way, I lied on that form. My sister has COVID, but I really wanted to see that house. So apparently we're expendable. So, you know, it's cool. 
expendable Don. That's what I've always said. That's how I view you. But, you know, let's yep. just uh, ignore what you have to say. We got to move on, Don. Don't worry about that. Uh, thank you so much to our Patreon uh, subscribers. They are the best. You guys make the show happen. It is wonderful. Um, let's also just give our kind thanks to BizX Magazine. Thank you so much to BizX. Check out BizXMagazine.com. And of course, we're available on P- Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you find your podcasting apps. And Leuna625 makes this pre-record happen regardless of what Don has to say about his, you know, working situation. Leon is there to uh, allow us to put the show out. If it was Don's world, we wouldn't have a show. You'd all be forced to buy something from him. And that's just how it would go. Wouldn't be the best, but it would be Don's city politics. If I was king. (laughs) Anyways, jokes aside, we're so glad to have you all here tonight. we got a great show. We're going to jump right into it. Health Canada has recalled Hiram Walker's hand sanitizer over ingredients linked to a skin irritant. Thanks to CBC Windsor for putting this one out. As I just said, they have now done a full recall. It's a bad story. It's not a good story. I could actually dive into the facts, but it really doesn't matter. We all know what they are. Uh, Health Canada came out and they told the city in a very private matter, stop distributing, stop producing. And the city went, well, we haven't produced this stuff in eight months, but we're not going to tell you we're going to stop produce or uh, distributing it. And Health Canada went, no, you guys should probably stop distributing it. And the city went, nah, we're not going to do that. And Mayor Dilkins decided to come out very publicly in a way that need not, quite frankly, have been done. Uh, there was no need for this story. I, I said it on our Patreon show last week. You should all check out the Patreon show. We go really in depth into the issue, quite frankly. But I said last week, this shouldn't have been a story by any means, shape or form. But, you know, the city under Mayor Dilkins decided they wanted to make it a big story and they got a big story. They got the coverage that they wanted They challenged Health Canada and they said, what are you going to do? We distributed Health Canada, I guess, quasi approved because no one disapproved it during the height of the pandemic. But now, 12 months later, how dare you decide to tell us we can't distribute it anymore? And Health Canada responded in kind. It's recalled. You're causing health problems with people. I see you, Don. I'm going to come to you first on this one because, you know, you were the uh, black sheep last week where Doug. Yeah, well, Doug, Pat and I were coming at you on the after show saying that you were the wrong one on this. And, you know, I don't I don't want to be an asshole about it, but you were the wrong one on this in the sense that the three of us were saying, I don't think Health Canada is going out of their way to try to, like, make Drew Dilkins look like an asshole. I don't think Health Canada went out of their way to try to make Windsor look like it did something wrong. Again, this whole situation was a private conversation. And Pat disagreed with me on this, but I still stand by it. This was a private conversation where Health Canada said, 
don't stop making it, quite frankly, because we haven't been making it for months. They just simply said, destroy your inventory and stop distributing it. But the mayor decided to go on his offensive. He put out a press release and he got his very good media coverage, which, uh, again, quite frankly, kudos to him. He didn't Lord, put out a press release. John. Oh, uh, excuse me, not a press release. There, he, he, there, he was, his, there was an anonymous leak from City Hall. He, uh, ex- uh, Thank you. It's more than likely the mayor's office did what the mayor's office is very good at doing in this community. Somehow our media had found out about this situation. But Don, I want to come to you. You were the one that uh, tried to tell us that we were wrong. I'm not trying to say that you have to defend yourself by any means. This is not, you know, uh, is this a def- dunk on Don segment? Is that sounds what's happening like it here? really sounds like it? He doesn't know how this is going to come back on him in about 13 seconds. Well, do it, do it <laughs> by all means, by all means. I'm, I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to come at you hard. You were just the only one on the, on the panel at the time to say that this was not something that should be, you know, it's uh, concerned about, I guess, as the rest of your panelists were suggesting. So where where are you standing now that the recall has been implemented, saying that it's unhealthy, a problem for your health if you used it in the context that, again, this shouldn't have been a public story. We shouldn't have done our show about it. This shouldn't have been an after show. Well, and no, I agree with you on that. This this could have been handled very quietly. Okay, mute uh, Don, Doug, if you don't mind, we have a new segment to go to. I'm right, he's wrong. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, <laughs> stealing from Stephen Colbert. Uh, so yeah, uh, I still think the original complaint about labeling and things like that is BS during a pandemic, and I stand by that. And I would want them to do the same thing if this Inter- situation rises uh, inter- again. Okay, interjecting hard again. I don't mean to be a dick. I've yeah. dealt with I've dealt with this Health Canada process of actual application and approvals in the cannabis industry. And yes. and so you're saying like you know the labeling thing. I disagree, and I agree with you on that. But like, if Health Canada is trying to tell you you fucked, you, you screwed up. Yeah. Well, and you should listen to them because at the end of the day, they have final say. Should uh, this have gotten to that point? I mean, they gave you the easy stick. Of course not. Of course it shouldn't have got to that point. And I, and I said that in the last week's show. Uh, but again, during a pandemic times when this was all going down, we weren't getting any support for things like that from the feds. So, you know, I think the city did the right thing. There's a recall on this now. I don't know what the purpose of the recall is. They said it irritates your hands i used it for a long time didn't bother me uh but again you know we had wolfhead doing it we had basf so there's other companies so i'm not sure if this is even applicable to what the city's got in storage right now i don't know if it's basf material wolfhead brewery or if it is the higher walker stuff or wolfhead distillery sorry uh so yeah i mean if health canada says they got to stop selling it they got to stop selling it but given the time situation when this all happened I still think the city did the right thing and I'd want them to do the same thing again. Eh, That's fair. I appreciate that. Again, I don't think that anyone did anything wrong with expediting approvals at the outset, but again, it's, it's, it's the, it's the months later response, Doug, your input on this. We got to move on. Uh, Just quickly. I think um, this probably indicates this new news about Hiram Walker probably indicates that, um, there is a uh, health Canada is taking a look at um, some of the things that they probably looked the other way on during the pandemic itself. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't more uh, um, material, uh, things that have been produced by non-traditional <laughs> suppliers that, that may uh, end up having this type of thing happen. At the end of the day, uh, I think everybody did what's right here. Um, everybody uh, involved did the right thing. They were moving quickly uh, in an emergency situation to try to get people the stuff that they needed. And, um, you know, it's, it's not surprising that a, a new producer might have some hiccups and bumps along the way. And, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. We'll have to leave it there. We'll learn more about it probably next week, maybe the week after. Lord knows that in Windsor, we always find out the back side of the stories. Moving on, though, the plan to outsource caretakers at Windsor City Hall has been canceled. We briefly touched upon this before, but, you know, it's been firmly finalized now. The city of Windsor has reversed course on its plan to outsource custodial jobs. Council voted in a plan that would have seen GDI take over City Hall complex at a lower rate. As of last November, the city announced GDI could no longer guarantee that the tender was expected to save taxpayers more than the $300,000 that it was supposed to come in at. The union president of QP543 said seven full-time and seven part-time positions, I guess, are now saved. And the city is going to be reestablishing seven full-time caretaker positions that were set to be filled through attrition. Um, I'm going to come to you on this one, Doug. You brought this story forward to us. So I want to come to you first on it. But I will say at the outset to get my point across, what a wild situation to be in where you have, I mean, and I get it. You know, it's COVID. So we're in a weird situation. It's not, uh, I guess, like what anyone would have expected. But what a wild time to be in where the city outsourced jobs to a company that said they could do it at a lower rate and then came back to the city and said, nah, actually, you guys are doing it cheaper than we can do when they're union paid jobs. Now I get, you know, again, as I said, we're in a pandemic, but like I've been following municipal news for, you know, I guess I consider a while now it's 13 years. I'm still a youngling, I guess, if you were to uh, look at the panel, but like, Lord, my may, I have never seen anything like this. Yeah. We're not going to ask you your opinion on uh, Mayor Kishkan. Uh, John, <laughs> thank you. I wish not. Uh, it's just through the old scribes that I've read my uh, pieces of the history. This story is is uh, I agree with you. Like it's interesting and it's puzzling to me. Um, I would love to know why uh, the GDI were were not able to honor their bid. I'd love to know the reason why. And there's you know we can speculate about that and. Um, but we don't we don't have any firm information. It, it is pretty unusual um, that that a bid would be withdrawn or that the bidder would say they were no longer able to fulfill the contract. And I'm not really sure um, 
you know, I would think that there would be penalties potentially involved with something like that because you're going to impose costs on the city uh, if you can't fulfill um, if you can't fulfill your bid. So uh, it's it's really strange um, when you read the comments in the piece and you think about um, how mild they are and how much they seem to be dancing around the subject. I feel like there's something that we don't know here. Um, I'm also curious, uh, and I don't have the details in front of me, but apparently there wasn't a second bidder or the second bidder wasn't cheaper than um, insourcing the work because you would think normal practice would be if the, if the first bidder, for whatever reason, can't fulfill the contract, that you would move on to the second bidder and give them an opportunity. At the end of the day, um, uh, I wasn't in favor of this outsourcing um, from the start. Uh, I don't think that it's the right thing for the city to be doing to be, um, you know, eliminating uh, decent jobs in the city uh, that they are in control of and outsourcing to jobs that are significantly less decent. Um, just to put some context on that, the caretaker jobs pay between about $21 and $25 per hour at the city of Windsor and come with benefits. Um, at the time uh, that this was awarded to GDI, the speculation in the newspaper is that they would pay somewhere between minimum wage and $17 and have little or no benefits attached to it. So the quality of the job and therefore probably the quality of the worker um, and the incumbency that you're going to get from your workforce is significantly different. So I'm not real unhappy about this. Uh, I guess the question is, um, what is it? What is the reason and what's it going to do to the city's ability to outsource in the future? Is this a one-off or is this something, uh, this some reason that it's going to keep cropping up? Yeah, Don, that's my question to you. I think Doug just hit it on the head right there. We're going to be talking about an expropriation issue coming up in the next uh, segment or the second next segment and how the repercussions of it could spill over. Do you think that there might be the possibility that this situation could spill over? How surprised are you to see that the city is actually able to provide in-house union paid jobs with benefits, all of those bonuses at a cheaper rate than what a private sector endeavor can. And I guess, you know, final question to you as well. I don't mean to do a three-parter, but I mean, does that really turn upside down this idea? And I'm coming at to you because, you know, you're the, you know, you're the right wing guy on the panel. Does this, uh, does this turn the idea of outsourcing upside down or do you think it's just, you know, contextualized here because it's COVID lots of questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a lot of questions there. Well, you know, I would outsource the mayor's job if I could. So I'm a big fan of outsourcing any kind of government employees to the private sector. I would uh, too, if only it wasn't just a left-wing plight as well. Yeah, well, you know, it <laughs> de- depends who's in power at the time. Uh, yeah, I guess without the details, it's very interesting that this happened. Uh, because if you look at the salaries, like Doug had mentioned, the hourly rates, and I, and I think the benefits are the big thing because we all know, you know, government, employees have benefits that most people in the private sector can never dream of having. So I think that's where the expense really is. Uh, one question I have, and I don't know if either of you guys know, when was the outsourcing agreement and uh, put out there for tender? When Was this pre-COVID or during COVID? Oh, it was definitely pre-COVID because it was agreed upon, like the outsourcing was supposed to uh, I guess go back to November of last year. So of course the uh, the negotiations would have been before that. 
Okay, yeah. so All right, so, so we have a piece here, November eighteenth, twenty twenty. Brian Cross and the Windsor Star headline: Move to outsource City Hall cleaning staff in midst of pandemic. A shocker, says union leader. So apparently, it was a shocker, uh, November of last year. Well, I so guess we, so. We can all say that, of course. Like administration was dealing with this for probably a month to two months. Yeah, so obviously they knew the situation. Well, I, the reason I asked that question, one thing that I was curious about, and I don't, we don't have the answer to this, but I'm just going to put it out there. Did because of COVID and obviously cleaning protocols and the way cleaners are doing their jobs change dramatically uh, just from your standard pre-COVID days. Maybe it was just a situation where, A, they may not have been able to get employees because the employees felt they would have had to go into these high-risk health situations or maybe the work that was, you know, put in the tender for the contract, the duties expanded because now we had higher cleaning protocols and higher, you know, standards we had to go to. I'm just wondering if, you know, basically the the job description changed. I think you're like, I think that Don, again, I'm not trying to be an asshole towards you. I think that you just hit maybe the potential like nail on the head of it. Like, Oh, did the job description change? Well, what, what actually changed about it potentially? Well, it had a lot more risk, I suppose, you know. Well, uh, risk and also there may, the protocols for cleaning have changed. Like even at our office, I know our cleaners are doing twice the work they were doing before. So maybe when the tender went out and the company bid on it, after the fact, they said, well, you know, this job has changed and we can't do it at that rate. Maybe they couldn't get employees. Maybe they just couldn't get employees I, to do it at that I guess. I guess what I'm suggesting is, and Doug, I'll bring you in. I know that you've got something to say quickly here or that you have something to say, excuse me, Um or maybe we have just reached the point that like, you know, the workers that we have for the rate that they were being paid might just not have been the level that was, you know, equal to the private sector. But at the same time, was it applicable to what should be paid out generally? If people aren't willing to take the job that you have, I get it. It's in a pandemic. So you've got some added stuff on top of it, but at the same time, what does that say outside of pandemic? And what does it say about these types of jobs? This goes to the conversation of all of our most important workers, our essential workers are being paid this rate that I think that, you know, you're sort of getting at just the idea of, you know, it's a job, take the job. It's there for you. If you want it, you don't have to take it, whatever. But I guess this hesitancy, how does that apply broader to that? So Doug, if you could just address, I guess that topic, but get to what you want to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I kind of doubt that um, a shortage of workers is the reason. Um, I think that would be something that would be stated. Um, and I don't, I also don't think that's a that, good, that's a really um, good point. I do agree with you. I think that it would probably have been like addressed in the star piece, at least if it was provided to them, like, oh, there were X amount of applications, but uh, X amount didn't follow through. Yeah, if there was a reason that was, um, if there was a reason that was palatable, I think we would have heard it in this. We would have read it in the piece. Um, and I don't think that the job description changed significantly. And the reason I think that is that I believe that they, you would have to recall the contract if the parameters of it changed significantly. Um, and I don't think we would be getting the same story if that's what happened, because it would be entering a renegotiation with the vendor. So I think straight up what happened here is that for some reason, the vendor is not able to fulfill the commitment that they made in the tender. Um, 
one thing that's really missing from this story is a comment from the vendor, which, you know, lots of times private sector companies don't feel the need to comment on stuff like this and fair enough. But um, there is a reason we don't know it. Uh, I hate to throw cold water on your speculations, but I, I, they, none of them strike me as particularly plausible. Yeah. I mean, again, we just don't know. So, I mean, and you'd brought up, you know, where was the second bidder on this or was there a second bidder on this? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting, it, it's odd. I've never seen something like this happen. Uh, so yeah, it'd be interesting to know actually why the details, why they're not doing it, whether it's, you know, whether it's something that the, the supplier just underestimated cost or something like that, or if there's, you know, pandemic specific reasons that he can't get people right now or yeah, it's just without knowing you're just throwing speculation around. So it's, it's weird to see this happen. I'll, it'll be interesting to see if going forward, they try this again, you know, maybe in a couple of years once the world is back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. I'm really interested in that too. Um, I'm really, like I said, uh, at the start of this segment, I'm really interested to see whether, um, whether and how outsourcing as a, as a broad sort of policy initiative, it's something that mayor Dilkins has been in favor of and, and pushing for, you know, his entire term. So it, it will be interesting to see whether that continues or if it starts to peter out now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's one of those crazy stories that I don't think any of us expected to see happen. I mean, especially in Windsor and outsourcing to be told that it has to be insourced by the private company that it was outsourced too. Um, I am very interested to see how this story evolves and Lord knows we'll continue to follow it. Moving right along though, uh, this story hits close to home for me, at least quite frankly, swastika sign found on hospital property. CTV's Chris Campbell put this one out. The CEO of Hotel Du Grace Healthcare has spoken out after a swastika flag was found near in the hospital property at the entrance. The painted sign was found yesterday. It resembled an altered Canadian flag with the maple leaf replaced by a swastika. Of course, Windsor police are on this, and apparently it's the second occurrence of a hate-motivated crime that officers have been investigating in the past couple of days. You know, these are tough stories. Like, these are really tough stories. Uh, they happen every couple of years uh, in the Jewish community. For those of you listening who don't know, um, you know, I'm Jewish. That's my background. I grew up in it. And Windsor has been a great community. Uh, and we have these things, and they, they pop up every couple of years. And, you know, they're, they're meaningless in the sense that there's no one in these faith communities uh, whether it be the Jewish community or whether, you know, a couple of years ago, I uh, brought some attention to some anti-Muslim uh, uh, graffiti that was happening. Like this is, it's not new. People in these communities are used to it, but <sighs> Lord, if it doesn't feel different during like the pandemic, I guess. Right. Yeah. Do you think, do you think it is opportunistic? Do you think it's just, uh, you know, the anti-mask, the whole anti-COVID whole crowd is just 
going to extremes that are just, you know, utterly fucking yeah. ridiculous. Or do you think this is, you know, these white supremacy organizations are using this as an opportunity to get out there and start spreading their message and kind of hiding behind these anti COVID people? You know, I like that's that's it, right? You know, when this happened a couple of years ago and I first spoke out about the uh, graffiti going on at bus shelters and stuff, and it was saying like Islam is the like the root of all evil or like there's some shit like that. And it was clear like this isn't a guy who actually like believes like this is just an easy outlet to like say some shit and get it out there. And I really feel like it's obvious that with this one here at the hospital, like I, it's obviously not a it's it's not a Windsor Nazi. Uh, I hate Windsor Nazis. If I were to appropriate the uh, Blues Brothers quote, it's clearly it's not like someone espousing Nazi views here. They're trying to suggest that the Canadian government is the Nazi government because of, I guess, the restrictions or whatever that these idiots decide to attach to these days, but. The problem is, is that there are so many people that don't host a podcast like we do and read all of the news stories that exist like we do and understand the nuances of these inside politics things. And if someone sees that Nazi on the Canadian flag, they might not think that it's attacking the Canadian government. They might think that it is respecting the 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 nazi symbol in some way shape or form and it's just an idiocy it's ridiculous and it's a conversation that quite frankly the ceo of hotel du gray Healthcare does not need to be engaging in whatsoever lord knows our healthcare workers are working so hard just yeah. trying to do their best so uh, i i tend to um, I tend to see things your way uh, on this, John. I, I think that that's probably how I interpret that symbol as well, that it's, um, you know, it's it's meant as a very clumsy commentary on mask mandates and, and uh, um, other public health measures. That's probably what's happening. Um, I'll say this, though. I think that um, when you're comfortable reaching for that type of symbol and deploying that type of symbol um, in your rhetoric, whatever your message um, you're in a dangerous and bad territory. And it's, it's unacceptable. Like it is, it's trivializing something that matters a lot. Um, But I I think you're probably right that, that it is meant as a um, anti-authoritarian, anti-mask, anti-public health type of message. And it's, it's just very, very clumsy. So if you guys are okay with it, I'd like to bring something in here um, just to add a, maybe another layer to this discussion. Um, yesterday Please. on Twitter, last night late on Twitter, actually, um, Frank Graves, who is a uh, acquaintance of the show, um, you know, we like Frank, we read Frank's stuff. Uh, we've talked about his stuff on the show before. Um, last night, he, uh, his Twitter handle is at Voice of Frankie. That is a boomer Twitter handle, Frank. Um, <laughs> tweeted, uh, he tweeted a series of slides about um, vaccine uh, acceptance uh, and the perspective of people in Canada on different issues. Um, and his conclusion, I just want to read a couple things from his concluding slide. And I do encourage everyone to go and check out his Twitter account because it is interesting. Um, 
you know, his conclusion uh, to all of this research, and we'll maybe we'll dig into some of the other numbers, is that um, the public may well be interested in um, a rebalancing of the economy and the society, uh, that there is potentially more appetite among Canadians generally for um, more government inter intervention, uh, a stronger social safety net and so forth. Um, but pulling in the opposite direction, we have expressions of authoritarian populism. And uh, this, I think, really relates to that. One of his other slides, um, he breaks out attitudes on issues. And this is fascinating. And that instead of breaking it down by political party or age demographic or one of the things that you typically um, would break down uh, those type of attitudes on, he breaks it down on the axis of whether the um, respondent is well-informed or very disinformed. Um, so they, they determined who was informed and disinformed by asking a battery of questions, of factual questions about the COVID pandemic, basically to find out if this is a person who reads the news and understands what's going on around them. For example, 81% of well-informed Canadians think that climate change should be a high priority. 11% of very disinformed Canadians think that climate change should be a high priority. And it goes on from there. Um, but I think it's really interesting because if you connect this to the previous conversation we've had about Frank Graves' research in which he identified Windsor as one of the Canadian hotspots for this, this uh, authoritarian populism, which he also characterizes as open versus ordered, um, it's really interesting to think about that. And we certainly in this region have seen a pretty strong um, anti-mask uh, perspective, anti-vaccination. I'm hearing, starting to hear a lot of that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think we're susceptible to that. And I think it, 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 this is really important stuff to think about because it has the potential to strongly impact on our politics and policy. And I just wanted to bring that into the conversation. Sorry for I monopolizing for a couple minutes, guys. No, I think it's really good. And Don, I'm, I'll just let me jump in here quickly before you come in. I, I don't mean to also uh, further monopolize, but I've got the race car, which means I'm in control of the board right now. Um, you know, Doug, I'm always surprised, uh, Don as well, you guys, that you hear people outside of Windsor, Essex. You hear people outside of, I guess I would suggest Hamilton and more of those rust belt type Ontario Canadian cities, right? That have dealt with those typical type things. And people don't understand how easy it is for someone who is NDP to potentially just, you know, sidestep over to a conservative and it's the populism. It's the economic fighting for the job perspective, I guess. And I really think that that comes to what you're talking about there, Doug, and that, you know, it we've seen a lot of what you just described down here in Windsor. And while it might seem like to a lot of people outside of our region as an anti NDP sentiment, um, and you look at our politics and you look at our elected representatives and you go, wow, they're, they're, you know, pretty well plurality orange, except for a couple here or there. Uh, how does that happen? And I don't think a lot of people recognize 
how actually close conservative to NDP is um, when it comes to those economic populism issues. So I guess, you know, Don, I just said you were going to talk, but I guess screw you. Doug, can you respond to that quickly and then give it back to Don or give it to Don? Sure. I I think um, I think it's probably true that there's um, that there is significant crossover potential there between um, NDP and Tories, the way that the parties are currently set up. Um, Certainly, I think both. Lord knows they're both fighting for it too right yeah well i think that that's certainly true that both the conservatives uh federally and provincially um particularly provincially and the ndp are both trying to appeal uh with a populist message and bring a populist message um uh to politics and that's not something necessarily that um liberals have done in recent years although uh, liberals certainly have partaken in populism in the past, uh, definitely within our lifetimes. Uh, I, I think that there's, um, I think people tend to underestimate how non-ideological, um, even committed voters are. Uh, you might well be a committed NDP voter, but that does not mean that, um, you know, that you are, you have, socialist leanings or that you have some kind of coherent ideology, their message may have appealed to you over the course of a number of elections. And same with the conservatives. I just don't think that normal people, um, non-political weirdos, I don't think that normal people have tend to align themselves so tightly with a political ideology and think like, think through it like that. I I just don't think so. So it makes perfect sense to me. I, I hear you on that, but I also like I, I hear the opposite of it a lot when I speak with like my friends that I've that, that have introduced friends of theirs who work like in the plants and stuff. And the connection between they tell you that you should vote NDP, the union takes your money, what's the outcome that you get from that? And that through line is a very clear one to, well, the government shouldn't be taking as much money as they do out of your pocket, i.e. taxation, which then leads directly to that conservative conversation of, you know, lower taxes. That's what we believe in. I just, I've, I've spoken to so many people that have expressed that exact through line. And of course we are so off of what we started talking about right now, but that's okay. This is, I find it to be so interesting. Like, do you, do you understand like what I'm, what I'm suggesting at all? And, and I mean, think back to 2016 in the States, right? Um, One of the reasons that Donald Trump was successful in that election was that uh, he found a way to narrowly win um, uh, formerly democratic States. You know, he found a way to appeal at least the narrative after the election. I don't have data in front of me and nor have I recently looked at it, but um, uh, you know, at least the media narrative after the election was that, uh, appealing to blue collar voters was um, one of the ways that he was able to kind of get over the hump and and uh, narrowly win the presidency in 2016. So um, there is a path for moving people from what would look like a more left political perspective to a more uh, right political perspective. And and Don, I see that you're ready to speak to this uh, from a very very personal uh, perspective. Yeah, well, given this topic, I figured I'd go get my NDP shirt on that uh, Councillor McKenzie gave me for 
killing the Windsor West back a few actions ago. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think what you you know bringing up the United States, I think it's important. And uh, if you said this while I ran out of the room for five seconds, I think down here uh, we are inundated with American media, and we're almost. I mean, there's been many a topic that's come up that says Windsor's kind of its own little world because we are almost we're Americanized on some level. Uh, I think there's a lot of people down here who follow American politics a lot closer than they follow Canadian politics. And if we look over the last four years, given the broad topic. You know, misinformation, uh, convincing people to distrust, you know, trustful media sources, uh, not to believe anything that anybody else says unless it comes from my mouth. And I think there's a bunch of people who, you know, uh, locked on to that because that was kind of their preconceived notions about government anyway. You know, all governments, all politicians lie and the media is just there to help them lie and get power. And, you know, when you bring it back around to a topic like covid I mean, I think that's why in this area you see that more because that was, you know, propaganda works, you know, governments have used it for centuries and it's not because it doesn't work. Marketing works. I'm in the real estate business. I know marketing works. I see some really bad real estate agents who are great marketers who I would never let sell a fridge to me, let alone a house, but they make a lot of money because they're great marketers. Uh, I think we run into that problem here. Like I said, base, a lot of it has to do with geography. We're very associated with America down here where I think, you know, when I lived in Toronto, it was, it was like I was living in a different world. There are actual real Canadians up there. It's Canadian news. It's Canadian music. It's Canadian everything. And you didn't have access to American news channels like you do uh, down in this location. I mean, it's a little different now because of cable and satellite and all that. But back in the day, that wasn't the case. Uh, and you know, to go kind of to the, you know, I put on my NDP shirt just to kind of make John's point. Uh, I think there is flu. I think people at the end of the day, you know, most, you know, normal people, not us who pay attention to politics way too much. I think they vote self-interest. And I think that's how in the States, Donald Trump got elected and took over your traditional democratic voters because he spoke to them, said government's screwing you. Democrats don't care about you. I'm going to fight for you. I mean, it all turned out to be bullshit, but that's the way you win elections, right? He, he, t- he went out there and said, all politicians lie, and then went out there and lied his ass off and got elected. So, but he convinced everybody else that it's them, it's not me. It's, you know, and that's how you get people. That's how you manipulate people. You convince them that everybody else is wrong, you're right, and they're just lying to you. And anytime they disagree with you, it's because they're part of the grand conspiracy. So, you know, bringing it again back to COVID, I think, that, I think that's been a big problem down here. Uh, you're seeing it also in other areas, but I think in this, you know, geographic location, it's probably a little more, a little more focused just because like I say, the access we have to the American media and how closely we seem to follow American politics, which I don't really believe is, you know, take out the Trump years. That's a whole different world, but you know, traditionally, I don't think people, you know, in Montreal or, you know, Winnipeg really pay attention to American politics as much as we do down here. Well, I mean, we, we can't, we are the epitome of the embodiment of uh, Trudeau Senior's line, sleep in a bed with an elephant. And no matter what the, you know, the rollover is, you're going to feel the effects of it. So, I mean, well, yeah, well not only that, but our economy is so intertwined locally 100%. with the, with the well, American economy that well, yeah, that's it's my important. Point. It's important, that, right? Yeah, that's exactly my point. Like our, we are, we are so directly linked in to it. That's why we have, you know, our antennas up 
in the way that we do, especially relating back to the subject that we're talking about here, which I guess to tie it all together while we're talking about the isolated incidents here of, you know, a, a swastika appearing at the, uh, at the hospital it's about the extremism i guess you know slipping across the border and how easy and how susceptible our region may be towards it um and maybe it's related to how hyper tuned our media is to it should they be covering these stories i don't want to suggest the media shouldn't cover these stories but you know if it was in toronto if it was in a bigger city would it would it receive the attention that it did would 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 uh, hotel du grace healthcare be able to uh, garner the attention through their media release condemning it as it does i'm not there there's there's no condemnation by any means but i guess you know the question is is you know how do we act how should we act on this you guys like how should our you know our politicos like us Lord knows there's uh, other radio panels that exist in this area. There's there's hosts that do these conversations. How should they be reacting? How should we be reacting? How should our elected leadership be acting? How should yeah. they react to this? Yeah, it's a tough call because, I mean, my first reaction to that question is just ignore the morons and don't give them more press than they want to get. It's, uh, and that's it's such a good point because quite frankly like if it's something that was only seen by three four people what's there to gain right yeah and that's i mean this goes back to our our thing that we always talk about a windsor media it's so easy to get media coverage down here is that a problem when it comes down to these like societal issues yeah i mean we've had the anti-mask rallies where you know 20 people show up and you think half the city was there i mean i think that's you know I, I think just the reality is, you know, the crazy stuff's going to get media coverage. That's just the way it is. Uh, you know, in this specific situation, you know, if you're going to do something like that, there's many different things you can say. One, you are completely oblivious to how fortunate you are to live in Canada relative to what the Nazi regime was and what the Jewish people had to go through during that time. And if you think you're even remotely, remotely close to being in the same situation, you're probably the dumbest fucking moron I've ever met in my entire life and probably shouldn't be allowed to vote or have children. Uh, I, I knew I liked you, Don. Yeah, there's a, always, always looking for, you know, the reason why. Thank there's you. There's a soft me. side to me. You know, it's just the way it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it actually, if you look at it in, in a bigger spectrum, it's look, we're, you know, if you look at my generation, you know, I'm 53 years old. I was born in the sixties. You know what I've, you know, I have understood eligible for COVID vaccine now. hundred percent. I'm getting in there as soon as I can. Uh, you know, my dad was born during world war one, but you know, if you're under 45 years old, you're almost getting disassociated. You know, world war two is now just something you see on TV all the time. And you really have no firm grasp as to what really happened to you know jewish people during you know that whole situation and what happened during world war ii with russians and ukrainians my you know my family's ukraine i can give you that whole story even pre-world war ii so we're almost in a situation where we're just so oblivious to the reality of how horrible it was and a how fortunate we are that we never ever have to deal with this that morons think it's just funny to have you know a Jewish star painted on with an anti-mask thing like they did on Calgary or this moron, whoever did this, they're just, they're just ignorant, stupid people. And unfortunately they're out there. And I think you really either, you have to hit them with a stick or ignore them. That's my opinion. 
you hit a really good point right there. Uh, you know, it's you think of anyone's like grandpa in North America, and it's like, what do they want to do? Well, I'd love to sit down and just watch any World War II flick for like six to 12 hours because that's what I do and I love it. And like, you know, we stopped teaching like the importance, I guess, of why all of that was so important. So I guess it's not surprising to see, you know, I guess the backlash against what would be perceived common sense decency um, without that knowledge there. Doug, I'll leave you with the final thought on this one before we go on to our uh, last topic here of the night. Do you think that, you know, I guess, you know, Don's sentiment there is on the right track that, it's just a lack of understanding of how horrific these comparisons are, or do you think it's something more malicious? I'm inclined to think it's not malicious, even as horrific as it is. Well, I think there's a few different things happening here. Um, I do think there's an aspect of, uh, you know, collective memory. The reality is that um, we are not uh, as a society in North America, we are not a historically minded people. Um, and we don't, hold on to to a solid picture of the past for very long um such a good perspective when's the last time that somebody you know some that the haymarket massacre came up in conversation just as an example um you know how often do we talk about world war one with any kind of like meaningful knowledge well i guess i i think to like you know howard zinn's history of america just in terms of like how much of our history wasn't actually taught to us because it didn't fit in the, the orthodoxy that had been created for us. Sure. I think that's part of it. And I think every country probably participates to an extent in myth-making about itself in in terms of telling its own history. But I think part of it is just that, um, uh, you know, people also don't retain the things that they learned in 11th grade history for their entire lives, you know, uh, and if if that's the connection that you have to the past, that you're probably not going to retain it. And we're getting to a point now where um, the Second World War ended over 70 years ago. Um, you know, it's going on 80 years. And and so it's passing out of of living memory. And, and I do think that that's uh, a significant part of why these symbols become more trivialized as things go forward. Uh, uh, that's part of it. But to get to your question about what um, what we how it should be handled, uh, look, the media is always going to show up for a freak show, and uh, you know you compare the amount of coverage and attention that anti-mass protesters have gotten, compare that to the level of coverage that the Windsor Peace Coalition gets. You know, um, bless those folks. They have their perspective. They're out there um, demonstrating very frequently. They have done for years. um, And it has to be a pretty darn slow news day before um, before there's, you know, a few column inches devoted to the work of the Windsor Peace Coalition because it's not a freak show. So let me jump in. Right. Let me jump in right there, Doug, only because I remember you bringing this up literally a year ago, probably within a week on either side of where today is 
because the first coverage, I remember that was the first protest that the anti-maskers did at Ottawa and Walker Road. And you specifically said both uh, publicly and in our private chat, you know, imagine how much coverage any of the hardworking activists would do to never get the coverage that these people are getting simply because you know, I guess quite frankly, they're the worst of the worst that are trying to go out there. I remember you saying this, and I guess the, I don't mean to stop you, but like it's been a year and yeah. it only adds to exactly what you're saying. So like, I guess where, where, where have a, these people been over the past year trying to get the coverage? They haven't gotten it. A, it's nice uh, that I'm consistent, apparently. And B, <laughs> um, Margaret and Enver, if you're listening, you got to crank up the freak factor. If you want to get, if you want to get the coverage, and uh, that but, was it was Margaret and Enver exactly that you had mentioned in the private chat a year ago, a hundred percent. They do such a good job at getting their word out, but gosh darn, they don't get any coverage for it. If so, they would walk walk around with like an M sixteen strapped to their back at their peace coalition rallies and say, huh? you know, peace or we're going to kill you all, maybe that would get some media coverage. Yeah, work. but we're but here to of- impose democratic communism through our assault rifles that is a really good way to get media coverage i agree communism is the last thing that's peaceful but go on okay so uh, putting all that stuff aside because that could derail the show um in terms of what uh how the you know media and leaders in the community and uh politicians should respond um i think that what uh um janice kaffer did uh and what hotel do did was correct um, if something like this happens on your property, you certainly want to make sure that it's clear in no uncertain terms that you don't approve, uh, that you disagree. I think that's um, that's right. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, that leaders can do is if if to the extent that you're worried about populism and to the extent that you're worried about authoritarian populism and you think it's dangerous, and you think it's potentially a problem, then what you need to do is resist the temptation to participate in it. Um, and, and I think that our, our leaders in our community and elected leaders, but not all elected leaders, have sometimes failed to resist that urge um, to uh, appeal to populism and to play silly games and to uh, make things a lot simpler than they really are uh, for the express purpose of whipping up public sentiment in one Doug, direction or another. Resist Doug, that. Would, would, it, would it be wrong if I were to, I don't know, I'm just going to pull something out of my head. Like, let's just say a minority group uh, attacked a majority group in a situation that had nothing to do with, you know, racism as far as could be investigated. Would it be wrong to go out of your way to, I don't know, maybe set up a community parade that in a inadvertently uh, sought to villainize um, a certain ethno uh, religious group? Would that be the wrong thing to do in this situation or the right thing? To yeah. Do? Look, man, look, man, we are not bailing you out of jail. That geese, so, yeah. So, <laughs> so I think you're referring to the, uh, the Ganacho trail incident and the response to it. Um, and I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it, this is so tough to talk about. Like, you know, I, I try to assume good faith on the part of everybody involved. Um, it's easier just to be an asshole and try to make a joke about it. Well, I know. 
I should try to be more like you guys, but it's, um, you know, I, it's not a fun I, topic. There's nothing fun about it. It's I try really to hard. assume, I try to assume good faith and, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't want to pretend to be able to look into the minds of others and say what was going through their minds. But I think, um, in talking about that particular incident, um, whether it was knowingly or not knowingly, whether it was purposeful or accidental, um, I do think that there was some dabbling happening with um, with with some unsavory messages and some uh, really really dark forces in our community. Um, a little bit of dabbling with it, uh, you know, and and the price that you pay when you do that is that you encourage the the cockroaches to kind of come out into into the light and that is exactly what happened in that particular instance whether it was you know intentional or not intentional and that's exactly what i'm talking about um i think i don't know if if people understand in this town the extent of the danger but all you have to do or how easy it is all you have to do is look south of the border to see what can happen when um, when those kind of forces become unchecked in uh, in a political conversation. They've got a problem in the U.S. They've got a big problem with right wing populism that is totally detached from reality. And if we are not careful, we could land in a similar place. So I think that responsible leaders and responsible politicians need to think hard before they take the cheap shot or before they go for the easy win. Um, think hard about what you're encouraging. That's all. I, I think that you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I have hosted, you know, 10 to 20 events, public events, trying, you know, 200 to 400 people at any of them over the course of whatever my professional career is. I come from a family that has done this. My parents have been the organizers of Blues Fest International. Out of any of the events uh, that like myself or my parents have done, there's never been, you know, a political figure that's been photographed with a white supremacist leader. And I guess the the point that I'm just simply trying to make is, is why is it at that event that we're discussing right now? Did a white supremacist group feel comfortable coming out to it? feel comfortable getting a photograph with our elected officials, our appointed officials, uh, the police chief in that case, um, and feel comfortable publicizing it. Um, so it's a roundabout idea. And I guess just simply the point being is I agree with you, Doug. It's really easy here in our cross border community. That is Windsor, Ontario, to whip up these sentiments, to jump onto these sentiments. And we might think that they're easy to gain political points, but Lord, 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 uh, there's some underlying issues that need to be considered because it's not going to be best for us here. Um, Give me one second. If I, didn't, I don't know. Yeah, if you're no, gonna... no, I was going to bring you in, Don. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and I think the people who are putting on these idiotic events and where these kind of things are happening if you're not going to call, if the leaders who are putting these people, and it's the same, we know who the people are. Like, if you're not calling out these kind of tactics as unacceptable, outlandish, then you are a piece of trash just like they are. 
You've accepted them. You've brought them into your organization and you're a piece of crap. And no matter how you like to disassociate yourself from these people, you are one of them. And I don't think any of us are suggesting that anybody here, I'm going to do the liability thing. None of us here are suggesting that anyone that we've been discussing or, you know, welcome them in. Uh, but yeah, please continue. Yeah. Sorry. But if, if you don't call them out and say, okay, look, we had our little event, but this was unacceptable, then you're accepting of that behavior. And then you're part of the problem. And for anyone, whoever put that sign out there, if you're going to do something like that, at least don't be a punk ass coward and go running and scurrying back in the dark, you know, take, own it, sit there with your sign, let people know who's putting it out there and make your point. If you think Canada is even remotely like the situation was in Nazi Germany, get in the media, come on this show and explain your point to us. Don't put signs up and run away like a little rat coward bastard. You probably are and hide in the dark and think you're funny. And for, again, for the people putting these organizations on, if you're going to let people do that, then you are exactly like these people and you deserve everything that would happen to you associating with these people. 100%. You want to tell me to my face that it's exactly the same as my family being dragged into gas chambers uh, and, you know, killed. That's what it's like for you not to be able to go, I guess, you know, get a haircut. Let me know that to my face. Otherwise, you know, I guess, you know, grow some balls. Well, they won't because they're cowards, right? Oh, and that's 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 the point. So we're going to be hitting our lightning round. Lightning round. We don't have our soundboard hooked up, so I had to had to sub that in we, right we did not steal this from jim kramer <laughs> by the way <laughs> so we're just going to go through this very quickly it's a new segment we're adding you're just going to get a quick take from each of us the city of windsor has lost their appeal they're on the hook now for 6.2 million dollars for the spring garden expropriation it's a 24 year battle between the city and the family the ontario superior court dismissed the appeal they awarded the Pacquiorca family, roughly $3 million plus interest on some portions of land dating back to 1997. Mayor Dilkin says that the ripple effect, though, could end up costing upwards of $20 million because if this standard was applied to how other families were dealt with at the same time, oh boy, those costs could be adding up. Spring Garden is now regarded, regarded, though, as the environmental jewel that is part of the Ojibwe complex. There's so many endangered species in there, as we all know. A century ago, it was part of a large swath of rural land on the west side, and it was laid out for subdivisions, but it never quite materialized. And we're in this situation today. It's a tough one. I don't want to go any further into it. You know, the government ruled we're on the hook for it. The the outlying and the uh, the ramifications are strong. I guess my perspective, I'll give it to you really quickly. This is why you don't want to screw up as a city. Dot your I's and cross your T's and don't try to go out of your way to get a short term gain because the long term is always going to hurt you. It's always going to happen. Doug, am I wrong on that assessment? No, I, you know, obviously nobody wants the city to be uh, suddenly out $20 million because that's going to cost everybody. Um, But, and in my view, expropriation power should be used very sparingly. 
um, for matters of vital public interest and the property owners should be fairly compensated for their land and fair compensation to me means paying people what the property is worth at the time that it's expropriated. Um, you know, clearly the, um, the LPAT, uh, tribunal didn't agree with, uh, the city's position felt that the city, um, did not do that thing. Um, and therefore they have to pay, uh, city subsequently lost on appeal. So, um, I think it'll be interesting to see where the city goes from here. Um, sounds like the stakes are pretty high and you can understand why the city, uh, is continuing to fight in its own best interests and, and in some ways in the financial interest of taxpayers. But, um, this is why you don't, this is why you, you do this stuff right. And you don't, um, you don't screw it up. So where, where could they go before we bring Don in here or Don, if you want to answer by all means, I mean, so it's at the Ontario Superior Court, right, of appeal. Um, we know that, I guess, the LPAT, of course, had been dismissed. So is the next step, I guess, to just continue this up the chain to eventually hit the Supreme Court and challenge it, hoping that they would even hear it? Like, am I, am I like pulling it out of my ass here, or am I correct? I am not the person to ask about legal matters, but according to the media article... Um, there is still further appeals are possible. So, and, and according to statements from uh, city hall, they're considering um, their legal options. So they have remaining legal options. That's up to them what they do, but uh, I don't, you know, more than that, I can't say. What's our budget on an annual basis. City budget. Um, something like $800 million. So 20 million is a huge chunk by a lot of means. So, I mean, it's definitely every, every 4 million is a 1% tax increase. Uh, so because, because of that, of that budget, only so much of it is funded by taxes. Of course, some of it is funded by senior levels of government. So uh, in terms of the property tax bite, every $4 million is roughly a 1% tax increase. So if we were to pay this all in one year and we did it's have 5%. to pay, exactly, it's a 5% pay, uh, tax hike. So it's definitely in the, you know, in, in our elected officials interests to fight it. But at what point does it become not a break even perspective? And does it start costing you to try to get a win that has, a, you know, I guess a depreciation on it. Uh, Don, let's bring you in. It was supposed to be a lightning round, but Lord knows I'm saying way too much. Yeah. I mean, this is a perfect example of why expropriating, people's private property should be the last thing you do if it's not necessary. Uh, you know, I guess my opinion is really, look, in real estate, there is a theory that a property is worth its highest and best use. In this situation specifically, if I understand it correctly, is at the time the city appro- appro- expropriated this property, it had been set up and planned as a plan of subdivision with building lots Mm -hmm. and you can't go in and say, okay, we're going to give you the value on it based off of a piece of dirt. You have to now base it off of what its highest and best uses. And that was as residential building lots. So they were completely entitled to be compensated for the value at that time or whatever building lots were set up. We have this exact same situation with the County County road 42 property. The big outcry from the camp crowd was that why did we pay half of, or however much we, they paid a hundred thousand dollars an acre for this property that they referred to as a bean field. 
Well, you know what? They're right. If it was a bean field, farmer's land, it's probably only worth $10,000 an acre, but it's highest and best use. And the use that's going to be used for is a commercial property. So you have to pay them based off of commercial property rates. So you can't have it one way when you're the one taking people's land and have it the other way when you're trying to justify spending a lot of money on someone else's land. You know, we went through the same situation downtown with the, uh, where the aquatic center is now that all that property they had expropriated originally, I believe for the arena downtown, it's never a good idea. It always ends bad. Somebody ends up suing somebody. So if you're not going to offer people, you know, the theory is in the real estate world, especially when the road was being built for the new bridge is you get the appraised value of the property plus 10% or 15%. That's what the, sh- that's what the government should pay you. Obviously back in this, back in the day, they tried to shortchange these people because they thought they could get away with it. And now we're all paying for it. Cut your losses, pay them. You screwed up. You can't keep digging near this hole deeper because you're never going to get out of it. Now they're just hope throwing crap at the wall and hoping something sticks and they don't have to pay this money. You screw it up. You got to pay it, pay them the money. They deserve it. They should have got it back then. They never should have had to wait this long to get this much money. So everything that they get is well-deserved because they should have got X number of millions of dollars back then, as opposed to the paltry sum that they did get. (laughs) No doubt. We're lucky that they didn't decide to build like 18 different condominium complexes going up 20 stories. Well, and the the theory is for so much more. I mean, if you look at a piece of land like that, if you just look at the land, fine. What if there's an oil well in it? What if there's a gold mine underneath? You have to pay them for the value, the highest and best use of that property. And if you know there's something there of value, which in this case was a residential plan of subdivision building us, you have to pay them based off of that. There's no fight in this. I don't even know why it's last. This is the first I heard of this because I didn't know about the story was going on for, you know, two decades plus. Like, it's stupid the city's still fighting this. Like, why would you fight this? Just pay them. You're going to lose. And you I, deserve to lose. Don, I love the idea of the city of Windsor building a park on top of a gold mine. That just tickled <laughs> me. Well, think of the fun for the kids. You got the old-timey miner hats and the little things. You could put a pond going through, a stream going through there. Mine your gold. I go down south. Everywhere you go, there's like, come mine gemstones on the corner of the, on the off the highway. So it'd be a great, you know, great, uh, great attraction Gosh. for the children. Gosh, there's, we still have to do our conversation on uh, how Windsor Salt wants to just start moving into downtown Windsor. And that's a whole other conversation. Collapse our downtown core. Anyways, that's a conversation for another time. We are going to leave it all here, though. You know, it's uh, expropriation. It's one of those really tough ones. I'm 100% on Don's side on it. Like, if you're going to do it, make it the last thing. I'm not suggesting, Doug, that you're on the opposite side of this by any means. Well, okay. Okay. Before you offend this, let me ask you this question, though. So we had this conversation in... I forget what it's called, but over South Windsor way where that little green patch, the province decided to deem it economically sensitive where people had already paid for building lots in there. They had roads basically put in services were put in and then the province came in and shut that down. Now there's been a turnover on that. Given this situation, those people deserve to be paid if their uh, lot plans uh, were thwarted by the province because they changed their mind after the fact. Those people deserve a hundred thousand dollars for those lots too. Call me, Don's loyal legal services. <laughs> if Don't any of them Don's were legal op- services, yeah, folks. don't don't do that. 
If any of them were opening up an ice cream parlor, I think they should be entitled to all of the potential sales of ice cream that they may or may not have had 100%. during that period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, we've made it to the end, folks. We did it again. We always question whether or not we can do it. Can we pull off a full hour? Lord knows we can. We can go further than that. Doug, I think we did a good job. What do you think? Good show. I thought it was a good show, too. Don, you think it's a good show or was this crap? I got to call Nazis a bunch of punks. So I'm just waiting for my car to catch on fire. <laughs> yeah. If any Nazis want to come after Rose City politics. <laughs> That's right. Doug lives on Roseland Drive. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> now, now Doug has to go do a bit of editing. We're just kidding. He doesn't live down there. We'll hold okay. a break. We'll hold a five second. I've changed my my review of the show has changed, John. <laughs> well, anyways, it's been a fun show. Um, if you're a listener and you enjoyed it, great. If you're a co-host and you enjoyed it like me, Lord knows, I'm just sitting back, sitting pretty. It's great having a great time so folks from us to you it's been a lot of fun go check out bizxmagazine.com though we've got a whole new column there it was a good one i think it was a pretty good one we're talking about you know post-covid recovery what windsor should do can do opportunities that are available for us should check it out should also check us out on any of your social media networks, MySpace, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all of them. We're there. We're on your podcasting apps as well. And Lord knows we could not be doing this show. It's been a full year. We've been doing it on Zoom and Leuna 625. Not only do they build better communities, they build a better Rose City politics show. They make it possible for us to do it. And to us, that's the most important thing. And so for you, I hope you consider that as well. So check them out. Leona 625 building better communities. We will see you all next week. We might also be coming out with a Patreon. We put out a Patreon just a couple days ago. I think you want to check that one out. It was about the hand sanitizer issue. Get a lot of, we gave a lot of the backstory to it. We gave some input here as well. And I don't know, something tells me our next Patreon might talk about it as well a little bit, but we're going to talk some behind the scenes stuff that you want to hear as well. So all that to say, head over to patreon.com forward slash Rose city politics, and we'll see you next week. It's going to be a great show because Windsor always has great issues to talk about all the best. <laughs>